The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On round two, Bob Richardson is here, Senior Counsel at National Public Relations, Michelle Morrow, a People's Voice Award winner and music teacher, Khaled Iwamura is founder of Insaga.com. Maybe I should start with you, Khaled, because uh, you're mayor and she's going to continue, we can talk about that in a moment, uh, has been elected as the leader of the provincial liberals. What's your takeaway? Uh, my takeaway, I think two things are going to happen in the you know provincial politics over the next six years. I think uh, Bonnie Crombie is either going to become the premier by 2030 or she will become the mayor of Mississauga again by 2026. Okay. But I think for that to happen, a lot has to happen in 2026. I think uh, she, the Liberals, she'll have to take the Liberal Ontario Party to, um, you know, official opposition Um for her to be successful in 2026. But if she doesn't do that, uh, I think a lot will change. Bob Richardson, your thoughts? Uh, I thought it was a good win for Bonnie. Uh, These races are always tight. This one uh, was no uh, exception to that. Look, she's smart, she's pragmatic. Uh, she can take a take a punch and she can give a punch and that's an important part of being an opposition leader. I think one of the reasons she won is uh, she created excitement and interest and Ontario Liberals felt uh, uh, they could believe again that they, they had a shot at forming uh, government. So uh, kudos for her for, for doing that. Uh, and her opponents were excellent in this campaign uh, as well. Now, Nate Erskine-Smith turned out to be a, a good candidate and he uh, was a, a very, very good organizer too as well. So she should really uh, make sure that she uses her opponents well, particularly Nate. But uh, I would say overall, uh, it's a good outcome for the Ontario Liberal Party. And I would say it's a good outcome for Ontario politics. And Michelle Morrow, Bob was mentioning that she has a degree of star power. And yeah, if you reflect on the four people who were still standing at the end, you could choose a competent politician who can work a back room, or you could choose somebody who's got some light and color. Yeah, Bonnie definitely like pulls the spotlight towards her. I mean that in a very flattering way. She's very good. She's well spoken. She knows how to answer questions. She she speaks eloquently. Um, I feel bad for the people of Mississauga simply because uh, I'm a big believer in resign to run. I don't think you should be holding a high position and also trying to run for another high position because then I really do feel like your focus is pulled. But at the same time, looking at her campaign, I'm excited for what she could do for the Liberals and at least get them into official party status again. Kala, if I can ask you, actually, I know it's only been two days, but Bonnie Crombie said she will not step down as mayor until sometime in early 2024. How's that going to fly in Mississauga? I think it'll be fine. I mean, we've been, uh, I think over the last couple of months, we've been flying with, you know, councillors rotating the the mayorship. Uh, So I think uh, people will be ready for a by-election early 2024. And I think uh, there's going to be candidates coming out of the woodwork to run for mayor in Mississauga. All eyes on the housing housing crisis as uh, Pierre Polyev turns up the heat on the federal liberals. Uh, Bob Richardson, I'll start with you again on this one. Um, is it a winning file for him, and do the liberals have any game? Uh, the liberals do have game now uh, uh, because of their new housing minister, Sean Fraser, uh, has game himself. And, uh, and two, they're making a number of changes swiftly, which will help w- with, uh, with the housing industry. But this problem is 30 years in the making. You can go back to the back end of the Mulroney government, Gretchen, Martin, uh, s- certainly Harper, uh, 
and a lot of the Trudeau administration. Uh, and you look, and not a lot of them were doing a whole lot on housing for literally 30 years. That's where the problem is. It's not going to get fixed in two years. It, it, we need a 10-year housing uh, plan uh, by the federal government, and we need to uh, change a whole bunch of uh, rules municipally, provincially, and federally to get this thing back on track and to and to get some affordable housing built. And it's got to be mixed. It's got to be both private sector, and, and there's got to be uh, there's got to be some government intervention. I hate to say it in uh, in in the housing sector if we're going to ha- have real affordable housing. Michelle Morrow, one of the things that Pierre Polyev uh, talks about is how much more expensive housing is now than it was when Justin Trudeau came to office. As somebody who paid off his house, that for me is a bonus. But I get it; it's not affordable housing. Yeah, I feel like the prices, uh, there definitely was a big jump. Uh, uh, I feel like it was around 2008, 2009, but I feel like prices were starting to go up before then. Cause I know uh, my husband and I were looking for a house in 2008 and we were like, Oh, we were at the top end of our budget just for like a house that we didn't feel was extraordinary, a house that would suit us. Um, but now the house in our neighborhood is exponentially more expensive um but i do feel like you but what to build on what bob said earlier is that you it's really it has to come in at all levels it's not just that we need to get shovels on the ground we need to get houses built we need i hate to say it that we need more regulation we need more governance in our business but we do in the fact that we need to make sure that rents aren't uh, allowed to escalate exponentially between when tenants leave that we can really crack down on rent evictions that um you that perhaps we need to look at how much we need for a down payment so things like that so it's not just people investors buying up housing that, that it's actually made to uh, be bought by regular people who have regular jobs with salaries that should be able to afford houses that they want well and Kellett, it informs the conversation another article that was in everybody's pack this morning and that's how uh, 50% of new condos are owned by investors and across the board and all the coverage i'm looking at this morning there is a distortion in the market and we're not building affordable stuff and we're not building in the middle we're just building little box condos and selling them off at the you know at the highest price Oh, sorry. Is this to me? Yes. John? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. I think I, I think uh, reading that um, article, it, it really is. Uh, we do. Do we have to penalize the people that keep these condos empty? Um, you know, just because I I've seen so many condos, especially in the downtown Mississauga area. And you could see that half the building is empty. So we really have to get tough on them to, you know, kind of rent them out. The town, or actually it's a city, city of Moncton, has decided not to put the menorah on display this year. Is that cowardice, Michelle Morrow, or just uh, a prudent thing to do to avoid trouble? Um, I, I, I don't know if it's cowardice, but I do think it was wrong. Um, the menorah, looking at the package, the, the menorah has been part of the display in Moncton for many years. Um, it really leans into my belief that we have to remember that uh, the people are not the government. People may be unhappy with Netanyahu's government and what's happening in Israel, but the uh, Jewish people in Moncton are not are not responsible, and we should allow them to celebrate in their city the way we have in the past. And the disparity between, like, we don't allow certain religious items like the menorah, but yet we allow um, other Christian re- religious items like angels and that sort of thing to stay really shows that it is favorable towards Christianity and not towards the Jewish faith. And what a horrible way to alienate people when they really do need their support right now. Although, Khaled, it's almost assured that somebody's going to try to vandalize this. So what do we have to do? Station an officer next to the menorah for the, the days of Hanukkah? 
Um, well, uh, I don't think we have to do that, but I mean, it's just, you know, I think, I think it is, you know, I think they should keep on doing what they kept on doing. I don't think we should let the politics of today, uh, dictate, you know, what's, what goes on in Moncton. Bob Richardson, your thoughts. Uh, this was a tone deaf decision. It was poorly timed, kind of out of step. Uh, other than that, I, I suppose it was fine. Um, but it, uh, look, uh, at a time when we needed politicians to step up, this uh, this politician stepped out. It's really not a good thing. Uh, she should reverse her decision. It should be back in. And yes, John, if it requires us to have a police officer by the menorah, then we'll have a police officer by the menorah for this period of time because te- tensions are high. But you just don't go ahead and make a decision like that, which affects an entire community. Is it affordable to actually attend a Maple Leafs game? I'm looking at some numbers here that says the uh, average Leafs fan package for four, a family of four, would cost about $859.68, the price including four tickets, four hot dogs, two beer, two soft drinks, and that is 39% more than the NHL average, which is $517. And Khaled, even that seems prohibitive for family entertainment. You still got to get to the game. Yeah, I think I don't know where those tickets are, but they must be against the the back wall because I went last year and and they were like face value five hundred dollars each. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you go to Montreal, you go to Buffalo. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough. Uh, I'm I'm from Montreal, so I remember the Max Naslin, Steve Penny days. But anyways, I got tickets from Montreal. They're half price of what Toronto is, and I've been to Buffalo, and it's like a quarter of the price. So I think for family hockey fun, you have to stick to you know kind of your OHL team and AHL team now. That's and it's been unaffordable for decades. Yeah, well, there's always lacrosse. I keep banging that drum. Michelle Morrow, I know you love sports. So, <laughs> what are your thoughts on this? Um, I, uh, on one hand, if you're going to go out, I do believe that you have to spend money. Like if you're going to go out and have a good time, then you have to anticipate that you're going to spend money, but that money is insane to make a comparison. I'm trying to plan a quick little, uh, three day trip to Niagara Falls to go to the water park with my family. And that will cost us outside of food for the, both the hotel and the water park for two nights, um, will cost us about $850. So the fact that those two things are comparable is insanity to me. And you, the good thing about community sports is that it really does build up, again, the sense of community. You want Toronto to feel proud of themselves. You want them to support their sports teams in the good and the bad. But when it's so cost prohibitive to get young fans out and build up that support and build up that like entrenchment to a team, it's not going to happen at those prices. And Bob Richardson, you may be in the same zone as I am. I never pay for my own tickets. I only go to a hockey game if somebody else invites me. Yeah, I'm pretty much in that uh, in that league too as well. So I haven't been to a lot of hockey games lately, but uh, and I, I know why it's expensive. Uh, be tickets, parking, concessions, drinks, etc. I, I agree. Uh, somebody said earlier that uh, 800 is a low number uh, uh, in in uh, in that article. It's probably it's probably north of a thousand uh, would be the true costs uh, that. Uh, that a family of four would find uh, that's too expensive it's out of line with uh with the the rest of uh of the of the hockey league as as, as was noted uh, with montreal and buffalo prices so we need to keep an eye on this and uh mlsc has to get the message that we can't have massive increases every
every year, always, 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 uh, uh, consumers need a bit of a break. Okay, and not a lot of time on the clock, but Michelle Morrow, what do you make of the fact that uh, Canadians and Americans seem prone to believing in conspiracy theories, some of them fairly concerning, like that Diana was murdered or that scientists are covering up a cure for cancer? Yeah, that one really bothers me because think of the uh, think of the difference you could you could make. Think about how your name would be associated with curing cancer. That's that's one of the reasons why I honestly can't believe that that sort of thing would happen. But I think the the uh, flourishing of with COVID nineteen and everyone being stuck inside and the internet being really our only way to communicate, it really allowed these pockets to which would may have been small and off and, and fringe and off the grid really flourish. And it allowed people to sort of see themselves and and connect and cleave to something that gave them um, some some support and some hope that there's other people like them out there. It's really scary when you hear about it. The number of people who think the earth is flat is mind-boggling to me. Well, at 5%, I can live with that. It's the uh, the people who think that the election was rigged in 2020 I'm scared of. Thank you all very much. Good to have you. Khaled Iramura, Michelle Morrow, Bob Richardson. That is round two. Coming up in the next half hour, Bonnie Crombie is going to be here and so is the woman who tried to corral a kangaroo who may have actually witnessed it being captured in the end. Right now it's nine o'clock.